gonna rock this shit. Gonna scream my name. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make you shout. Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the indie revolution. And now, here is an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Smokey Greenwell. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
to be gone Troubles everywhere No doctors can be found It's no Town between a rack and a hard place. Between a rack and a hard place. Between a rack and a hard place. New Orleans, USA. Based on lies between a rack and a hard place. Between a rack and a hard place. Between a rack and a hard place. New Orleans, USA.
And that was Smokey Greenwell from his brand new release. And we got Smokey on the line right now. Hey, Smokey, how you been? Hey, Richard. Doing all right, man. Thanks for asking. Now, you've been on the show before, but it's been a long time. And we always like to start things off by giving our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are, both as an artist and as a person. And the best way to do that is to look at your journey, how you got to where you are today. So give us the story of Smokey Greenwell. Okay, I guess in a nutshell, as far as music goes... Um, I started playing harmonica when I was in high school, and uh, by the time I was in college, I was really practicing a lot, and uh, I ended up in Memphis my last two years of college, and uh, that was a good, just happened to be a really good blues town. I graduated from Memphis University, and by that time, I was already playing in bands, and uh, had my little circle of blues friends, and... uh, kind of got me started you know um and so uh in night that was in the 70s basically um and then in 1981 i moved to nashville i had some friends in the music business there and um so in uh nashville turned out to be pretty good for me playing blues too because uh i ended up in a band with Warren Haynes who was called Blues Co-op and we had all the best gigs we played all the best clubs and had a five night a week gig at a Holiday Inn on Briley Parkway and you know it was just a really wonderful thing you know Um, so uh, in 1989 uh, I ended up moving to New Orleans I kind of needed a change uh, I had uh, things going on in uh, Nashville that, uh, you know, like I had a psycho girlfriend and stuff. And <laughs> I had to get away. Yeah, I think we've all I had, had one of those. Her, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, she was stalking me and all. So uh, I came down here and I sat in with a band on Bourbon Street and they called me and they said, look, we've got a five night a week gig for you if you can just come down here and so uh, i ended up playing at the old absinthe house bar five nights a week uh there was three full-time blues bands on you know in that particular club it was really the the happening blues club in in new orleans and um i just kind of fell into this gig and uh that was the fourth piece and uh kind of got me down here and then uh I started working part-time at the French Market. I established my little store there where I sell CDs, harmonicas, and um, that sort of thing. I put out my first CD, and um, then I gradually put out more CDs. I've I've actually got 13 of them out now. Um, And uh, in 1995, I got a call from... Harold Brown with war and he wanted me to fill in for Lee Oscar and it just happened to be my very favorite band I had I had really studied Lee Oscar you know he was one of the people that influenced my playing a lot you know other than all the blues guys you know but when I was in Memphis a a really good friend of mine uh, turned me on to Lee Oscar and war 
And I just fell in love with that band. I mean, I I just devoured uh, Lee Oscar's solos, and I just fell in love with them, you know, um, with his music. And uh, it was kind of a shocker when they called me, because they couldn't even remember my name. They were on the road driving down the interstate, and they're trying to remember my name. I had met the saxophone player, Lance Ellis, uh, at the French Market and gave him my second CD. It was called uh, Smoke Alarm. And uh, he said, this is the guy we want. They couldn't remember my name, and they passed a Smokey the Bear sign. And uh, then it jogged his memory. He said, that's it, Smokey! So, so they called Offbeat magazine. Actually, I just got a review of the CD on Offbeat today. But anyway, um, they called Offbeat magazine, and they gave him my phone number. Back then, we didn't have cell phones, so it was it was like 1995. And uh, I got a call, and I came back out to the French market, and I told the guy working for me, who was a guitar player, and he said, you better go on the road with them. You better take that gig or I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> Because hmm. I was kind of on the fence. They wanted me to hop on a plane and be there, you know, like the next day, you know. But I, uh, they they allowed me a few days, you know, to get my shit together. And uh, so uh, next thing you know, I'm I'm on the road with them, off and on for about two years. Um, went to every state I'd never been to. Went to Europe four times with them and played a lot in Europe because uh, they were starting to have some legal problems over the name in the United States and uh, it was easier for them to deal with all that bullshit over there in Europe and so uh, so that brought me to about 1997 I started playing with my established my own band I've been playing with my own band Smokey Greenwell band for pretty much the rest of the time, you know, um, uh, just playing around town, you know. Luckily, New Orleans is a good town for that because, you know, the crowd changes every week. So, you know, Bourbon Street and Frenchman Street are, mm-hmm. have been really good good for me. I actually owned my own club on Frenchman Street briefly. And I got a good song out of it, too. I, I sold it after Katrina. And the song is called My Own Blues Club, and it's on the 99% Blues CD. Um, That was, uh, 99% Blues was one of my first, one of my earlier political songs. Like, um, I gradually put out a song or two, socially conscious songs on uh, five or six CDs before this latest one, and so... I just figured, well, with this election coming up, why not put all the socially conscious songs on one one CD or one? Actually, it's my first LP. More people have turntables now than CD players, so I put it out on both CD and an LP. And um, and then I wrote two more songs with Johnny Neal in Nashville, and we recorded most the songs I wrote with with Johnny Neal. We recorded in Nashville. Um, my old stomping grounds, and uh, I love working with Johnny. He's, you know, he's got a studio at his house, and um, <clears throat> it's just uh, 
And I like a second home for me, you know. I just feel real comfortable there. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the new release. Um, when you were putting this together, uh, what was the inspiration that kind of drove this into existence? Well, for one thing, the fact that I had already recorded um, half a dozen socially conscious uh, songs, and I've just been kind of observing how uh, things have been digressing as far as our government. Um, Ever since, uh, I mean, going all the way back to Ronald Reagan, when they got rid of the truth clause that, you know, news outlets had to be truthful. Um, He eliminated that. And it seems like ever since then, you know, um, we've been slipping more and more into a fascist uh, situation. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Donald Trump took it to a new level. Oh, tell me about it. So... I just figured, well, I had written two more songs with Johnny, and I, we had enough for for an LP, and then we put in um, just some uplifting songs, like Let's Work Together by Wilbur Harrison. We did a really good version of that. And, um, and then my Christmas song, Homeless Christmas, which, you know, it's really kind of... It, it, you would think it's real depressing, but it's really kind of a funny song, you know, the way... But it's a rocker too. It's a really, it's a barn burner. So, um, but it just drew a little attention to people that don't have the luxury of a nice little Christmas with family and all. You know, the march people left out of the mar, you know, or people marginal people out there, or what's the expression? People left out of the margins. <laughs> I don't know how you say it, but. Anyway, uh, um, so that was that's a motivation, you know, and things are coming, you know, I feel like this election is very important because I don't, I think if, if the Republicans get control this time, uh, they've learned their lessons from the last coup attempt and they won't give up power now, so... Uh, that was the basic uh, motivation, just to put it all together on one one release. Okay. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about you as a songwriter writing these songs. When you sit down to begin to write, what is what is your process? How do you get started? Uh, let's see, um, first I have an idea. Well, one song, I think the best song I ever wrote is off my Christmas CD. It, you know, it, it's called Merry Christmas to All. I would highly recommend anybody to go to YouTube and check out the video, because we went all out on it. But, um, that song came to me in a dream, and it was, you know, I was taking a nap one day, and we we just happened to be working on a Christmas CD, and I woke up with this really beautiful melody in my head, you know, um, and so I decided to, uh, see if I could come up with, with a Christmas, uh, message, 
and uh, you know it didn't take me long to write it, it you know probably an hour at the most you know and uh, then when I was you know up at the studio with Johnny in Nashville I sang him the song and, and you know to see if he liked it and he, he really did like it and uh, he came up with a beautiful arrangement so uh, that was that was the exception though most of them I just have an idea of what I want to say and then um, I usually just uh, come up with a melody somehow you know um Sometimes I collaborate uh, with other musicians, and but uh, we usually settle on something, you know, um, that works, you know, where the where the lyrics fit, and uh, that's pretty much how I've been doing most of my songs. You know, the ideas first, and then then the melody, and then fitting it all together. Okay, now. Uh a lot of songwriters have embraced some of the technology today as as tools, whether it's the cell phone or home recording studio. What are some of the tools you have found to be indispensable to you as a writer? Um, well, the little recording thing where you can just on your phone, if you have an idea, just sing it into your phone. Um that's been about the only really uh, technical advancement that I've had you know I've pretty much done it the old fashioned way up until that little feature came along but yeah that, that's that's real nice it helps me be capture things that in the moment you know that uh, ooh like let me see if I can sing this idea you know and and, and yeah the melody might not be exactly what what i end up with but uh but uh, other than that you know um can't think of any other tool that i've been using actually i don't even know what other tools are out there <laughs> okay not a problem now um a lot of songwriters struggle with when is a song finished and some use like family and friends they play it for them and determine whether the song is done others kind of go by a feel how do you determine when a song is ready to move to that next phase where you give it to the band and the producer and allow them to kind of put their fingerprints on it Usually when the melody and the lyrics line up, um, like I'll do my best to, to make it uh, cohesive. And then, you know, depending on who the producer, usually it's Johnny Neal. But there's a friend of mine, Jack Cole, that has helped me uh, a lot with this in the past, especially with arrangements. Um, Johnny Neal's great at arrangements. And uh, and Jack Cole has been very good too uh, for the most recordings I've done here in New Orleans. Um, so uh, people like that have been very instrumental in the finishing touches of songs. Okay, now um, 
once you get a song finished, uh, written, you now have to bring it into the studio and create its identity, its sound, its vibe. And every artist works differently when they get into that environment of a recording studio. Tell me a little bit about your process um, and how you like to work in that environment to get the sound you're, you're looking for. Okay, um, well, first we have like a very rough recording of the song. Um, you know, it might just be me and one other musician, uh, like uh, Johnny and I, Johnny on piano and me on harmonica and vocals. And, uh, or in, the, in New Orleans it might, might be, but just me, you know, just singing and playing. But anyway, once we have the general idea <clears throat> and we uh, put our heads together and come up with an arrangement, uh, the chord structure, um, luckily I always work with really, really good musicians who, who were very professional and uh, know how to make uh, a song really, really good. So um, that's the usual process. We, we go in the studio and record it all together and until uh, we get it right. Um, and then if anybody wants to overdub after we get the rhythm tracks done or we, if we want to add any musicians like a you know, piano player if Johnny's not an obsession or um, we come back and do overdubs and a lot of times I want to come and overdub my part get it better because I'm usually focused on you know just getting the words out there and uh, I'm not really too concerned with a finished uh, harmonica solo or whatever you know um, we have made exceptions to that rule I remember uh, with Common Ground uh, it's a kind of a jam song that we did. It's actually on the latest. It's on my uh, Blues for Democracy CD. But we originally put it out of Blues and the Power of Peace. But I remember when John was in the studio, he said, okay, now this song, we're just all gonna not have a clue what, what uh, you know, as far as arrangement, we're just gonna go for it. And so, um, we just, you know, I was a little scared when he said that, but we just, uh, we just went for it. It just turned out to be a, a jam song, and uh, it really came out good. I was real happy with the way it came out. It's eight minutes long, but uh, you can tell it's, <laughs> we were going for it on that, you know. Okay. But usually, uh, it's, it's it's the previous way that uh, you know we usually have it pretty pretty structured in in our heads when we go in to record. So uh, that's about it, I guess. Okay. Now, uh, tell me about the lineup on this. Who's playing on it? Okay. Well, um, it's from six different uh, six different. <laughs> A, a lot of musicians on it but uh, most of the, uh, the songs at least six of them were done in Nashville and 
you know, they've got uh, Johnny Neal on piano, B3, keys, backup vocals, on guitar, Chris Anderson and John Conley, on bass guitar, Dennis Gully, he sings too on, on these, and Daryl Burgess on drums and vocals, and uh, Melissa Alissi on background vocals, and they recorded a straight up sound in Nashville. And those those songs are Get Out and Vote, Filibuster Blues, Liars, Cheaters, and Losers, Slow Mo Moving Coup, and Common Ground. And then uh, Let's Work Together, that was on my uh, Louisiana, South Louisiana Blues CD. And of course that was written by Wilbur Harrison. But that's got Johnny Neal. He came down here and recorded with us. But that's got Johnny Neal on piano, Jack, Co Jack Cole on guitar, and David Hyde, great bass player, David Hyde. He used to play with Chuck Berry and uh, all kind of people. I love that guy. But anyway, he uh, he's from Hammond, Louisiana, by the way. But he's on bass guitar, Doug Belotes on drums, Lynn Drewey. Lynn Drury, Dana Abbott are on background vocals. And then 99% uh, Blues, which is the title cut of that particular CD. That's also got Johnny Neal on piano and B3, Jack Cole on guitar, David Hyde on bass guitar, Peter Bradish is on drums. And then on that particular song, which is kind of, it's cool, it's, it's like everybody's singing the little verse on it and i've got all these great singers on it it's got carrie b uh pete bradish mike darby freddie omar kateri yeager laborde and jesse moore and they're all singing a little verse on it you know it's uh it's the coolest song and the video is great 99 percent blues so and then one of my early my, i guess my very first political song it's called Between a Rack and a Hard Place. And uh, that's when we were at war with Iraq. And, uh, you know, we were spending all the money over there. And New Orleans really needed levies and everything. And uh, <clears throat> so it was like a play on words between a rack and a hard place. And... Uh, so that one's got Johnny Neal again on piano B3. Shane Terrio is on electric guitar. Willie Weeks is on, uh, oh no, that's Homeless Christmas, my bad. Hold on a second. Uh, yeah, okay, here we go. Uh, Johnny Neal is not on that song, I take that back. Um, it's got Mark Penson on guitar. He's a local um, fantastic guitar player, singer. Uh, it's got, um, a bass player from France, Andre Maratato, bass guitar. Uh, Garland Wilson on drums. Greg Wolf Hodges on guitar. He's really cool. He, he was living in New Orleans at the time. I believe he's now living in Georgia. And uh, that was recorded right here next door to where I live at um, Audiophile Recording Studios, where I've actually recorded several CDs. It's another home away from home. And then a Homeless Christmas. Uh, that's at Johnny Neal. 
that's got Johnny Neal on piano, B3, Santeria on guitar, Willie Weeks on bass guitar, Don Smith on drums, and uh, that was recorded mainly at Straight Up Sound in Nashville, but we blended the voices. Uh, it's got a big chorus of people singing on it from Nashville and then New Orleans as well, and we, we blended the voices down here in New Orleans. And it really came out good. The video's fantastic. Uh, I would, you know, like I said, I really hope everyone gets a chance to see it. It's got about a quarter million hits. A lot of people said it's their favorite Christmas song. Um, and also, um, Merry Christmas to all. It's a, uh, that's the one with the big chorus of people. But Homeless Christmas is the really is the really rocking one. Both those are killer Christmas songs. So, sorry, I made a few boo-boos in that That's okay. <laughs> presentation there. <laughs> but, now, uh, all right. showing my age. Now, uh, of course, once you get these all recorded and you get them on a, on a release, you got to put your team together and you're working with Larry Kay from Night Train Promotions. Tell me a little bit about that relationship. Well, um, actually, we just were introduced to each other. Uh, Larry called me, and uh, he had noticed that my uh, new release was just barely on the on the charts, and he thought he could help me. And I, I really did need some help. You know, I didn't have a good promotion thing going on. I'm not very good at promoting my own music. I don't know if just... Uh, kind of better at putting music out and playing live and, than I am at that sort of thing. So I was happy that he was willing to help. And uh, so it's been nice. I enjoy talking with him. He's, he seems to really be behind me here. And uh, um, that may led me to, uh, to this interview. So that was cool. And uh, so far, so good. Okay. Now, uh, let's talk about the industry a little bit. Um, you know, the the elephant in the room here is the fact that the consumer has now embraced streaming as a way to consume music. Uh, and, you know, you and I grew up in an era where music was a very tactile experience. You know, you took a, a vinyl record out of a, a sleeve and you put it onto a turntable. But, you know, through the years, we have rebought our music several times over. I know I've bought it on vinyl, a track, cassette, CD, downloads, and it's getting a little tiresome. So for nine or, you know, for $10, $15 a month, I have access now to pretty much everything that's been recorded in the last 120 years, which is a great, you know, boom to to me as a consumer but unfortunately what's happening is, is that we're not really getting um the kind of revenue that we should be getting from this from the content that we're putting up uh and recorded music now is not looked at as a product anymore it's it's now a service how has this yeah. shift um, in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Well, it's affected me a lot. Um, 
being that I have a, a music store at the French Market in New Orleans, um, you know, I uh, had devoted a lot of my space out there. We have very limited space, but at least half of it, you know, was devoted to CDs. You know, not just of me, but um, I started out just selling my own music, but I gradually started carrying other New Orleans artists, and it kind of got to be where it was very lucrative. You know, I was just a little music store out at the French market, and CDs were selling great for years. And now um, it's gone down to just a trickle, you know, and um, same as my gigs, you know, you could usually count on selling and you know, whole box of CDs at some gigs and uh, or more, you know, and um, now nobody buys them. It's just like everyone's downloading and uh, streaming and, uh, you know, so uh, people are buying a, a few more LPs, it seems like, than CDs now. So uh, I have this new one on LP and CD. And, uh, you know, they're not moving like I'd like them to, um, but uh, that's kind of how it's affected me uh, most, you know. Um, and then, you know, my music is on Spotify and iTunes and all that, and, uh, you know, I get a check for $100 about every three months or something, you know, which... You know, really very good. You know, I got CD Baby helping me with all that, and they, of course, they get their little percentage and all. And I mean, they've been helpful. I mean, I'm not too down on CD Baby or anything, but it's just that, you know, like with Spotify, I think you make point zero zero three cents on every stream. So. I mean, just to make a dollar, what what is that? How many streams is that? Is that? Oh, it's an, uh, yeah, it's it's an insane amount. I think it's it's a couple thousand streams in order to, to make a buck, you know. Um, and it just it just you know it doesn't make sense. I mean, if you really look at it, it's this is not sustainable. We can't continue to do this and expect us you know to continue to make content that cost us a lot of money. I mean, it's not cheap to go into a studio. You know, no, no, I spent a spent a lot of money on the putting out an LP and a CD. You know, so um, right. And, I mean, let's face it, CDs are on their way out. I mean, you can't get a new CD player in your car. You can't go to the Best Buy because they don't carry them anymore. You have to go to Goodwill. You have to go to a thrift store in order to find a CD player or, anymore. You know, I think I think you can still get them online. I don't know. It's been a while since I bought one, but I have a little portable one that I bought online at, you know, um, but that was probably two years ago that I bought it. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully they're still, you know, on there. You know, if anybody wants one, I guess you can still get one. It's, but, yeah, uh, it's just a lot more difficult now to get them as they were in their heyday, you know? Um, oh, of course, yeah. I still have a CD player in my car because I bought an older car hoping I would 
find one with a CD player. I got a 2011. So uh, it's kind of nice. I still like to have my CDs, you know, available to play mm-hmm. in my car on the long trips. <laughs> play my harmonica along with little Walters. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, one of the things, you know, like I had said, that it, this is not sustainable. We can't continue to go like this. And I've been looking at where the future of streaming is heading. Because if you really kind of look at the timeline of the digital revolution, every five or ten years, something new comes down the pike and replaces what was there. LimeWire got replaced by Napster, and Napster got replaced by iTunes. iTunes was replaced by Spotify. And now we're looking at the time where Spotify now is starting to get to the end of its lifespan, so to speak, where the consumer is going to be looking for something new. And there are these new streams services that are uh, that have been developed utilizing um, this new software technology that cryptocurrency uses is the blockchain. And one of the big advantage of this is that it is a decentralized system. In other words, you can't own it. No company or person can own it. It is owned by the fans and by the artists who put up their content. And one of the sites is audius.co and they allow you to kind of put your music up there for free. It doesn't cost anything to put your music up. And you can assign a value to the streaming of that song. So you could say, hey, you know, this is worth 10 cents a stream. And, you know, people would then, of course, you know, use their credit card, put it up there, and, you know, then stream the songs that they want to stream and put them in playlists, just like you would on Spotify. Uh, what do you hmm. think of that as a potential for the future? Wow. First, I've heard of it. Well, so can they use their um, cryptocurrency to buy them? Um, well, yeah. I mean, you probably could set it up where you could you could have a download of the song, where you could buy the song uh, download-wise, either through hard currency, um, like their credit card or whatever, or if they have cryptocurrency, you can also, you know, they can also utilize their cryptocurrency to buy it. Um, my personal uh, opinion on that is that we need to isolate um, the consumer from the cryptocurrency aspect of these technologies only because I don't think the consumer is very comfortable with cryptocurrency, especially after the bubble burst that we just had on cryptocurrency. You know, hard currency is still a lot more stable than crypto is. So giving them the option to utilize hard currency as opposed to cryptocurrency, I think is important for the adoption of this technology uh, going forward. You know what I mean? Well, well, let me ask you this. Why would someone download something for 10 cents when they can get it free on Spotify. 
Well, I mean, you're still paying for Spotify. You're paying ten or fifteen dollars a month, depending on your plan. Oh, oh, I see. So, but 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 you can but can't you you can download stuff free on Spotify even if you don't sign up. Well, you can't download anything on Spotify. You can only stream it. Um, oh, that's what I meant. Stream. Yeah, okay. I mean, you could buy. You still can buy singles on um, iTunes and Apple Music, um, but you know that has diminished. I don't think people really want to store these things. The streaming is too convenient um, yeah. than than storing it on a phone. You know, you remember when Apple came out with. The the iPod, this was a dedicated device that had a hard drive in it that allowed you right, to store, right. you know, hundreds, even thousands of songs. Yeah. And so people don't really do that anymore. No, right? no. They, everyone's using their phone now. Uh, and nobody wants to clog up their phone with a whole bunch of downloads. Yeah. yeah you know, they got to leave room for their for their TikTok videos and, and, and pictures for Instagram. Um, <coughs> so. So, you know, um, these new technologies. Now, there is a, uh, another site called Royal.io. Now, what they let you do is that you can create these NFTs, these non fungible tokens that represent either a small portion of your streaming royalties or a small portion of your publishing royalties and you can sell these to your fans. Now, one of the rap artists did this and he made enough to cover two songs, one half of two songs on his new release for the streaming royalties and he sold it to his fan base, was able to generate almost 600000 in upfront income as well as having almost 3,000 fans that had an economic interest in making sure his music is streamed. And... Um, these things are bought and sold on an open market. So as they're resold later on down the line, the rap artist now gets a commission off of that resale in perpetuity forever for that life of that NFT. Um, so this is kind of a, a way to replace the traditional record company kind of business model with a fan um, kind of um, model where they're now investing in you like they would invest in stock. You know what I mean? Wow. Wow, I gotta wrap my head around all that. It's um, it's interesting to see how this technology is starting to weave its way in to the music industry. And I'm really curious as to how this is going to transform music industry as we go forward. The big thing is that we need a seat at that table as independent artists so it doesn't get corrupted down the line. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. How do you do that? Well, we get there first and start utilizing this technology because the way these things are structured, the artists that are using it are the ones who own it. 
they own the technology. It's 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 not like a corporation can come in and say, "Well, this is ours now," because it's it doesn't work that way with the blockchain. The blockchain is decentralized. It's not something you can own. It's only owned by the people who utilize that technology or or using it. Uh, so the fans and the artists are in control as opposed to corporate boards. You know what I mean? Mm, that sounds interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, what would be something I could read about that? Um, well, if you go to... anything on... Yeah, if you go to makingascene.org, we have um, several articles on on Audius and on uh, Royal.io. Uh, we have a um, uh, a beginner's guide to NFTs for independent artists up there. We've got um, that kind of explains wow. to you what that is all about and how that is structured. So a lot of that information is up on makingascene.org. We try to be um, proactive in finding out how all this works and then try to put it in layman's terms so you guys can kind of digest it. It took me a long time yeah, to really yeah. to really wrap my head around it. Uh, I actually took several courses in... Um, uh, digital uh, blockchain and NFTs and and how this can be utilized for the music industry. So it, it's I found it really fascinating that you know this you know could what? be where um, we're going. Yeah, it, wow, you should show up at. Um, I wish they would hire you over at you know during Jazz Fest they have a sync up thing that they do every. Jazz Fest, or at least they used to. I'm not sure they're going to do it this year. Um, but they they have it over at uh, uh, City Park mm-hmm. uh, in one of one of the uh, actually right inside the uh, uh, the main building in there. But uh, it's it's a it's Jazz Fest puts it on, and they have these. Um, Groups that are people that come in and they have, uh, you know, all you have to do is sign up. A lot, it's for the music industry, and they have um, different, uh, what do you call them? Um, uh, Speakers that come in on all these different topics, and they speak about all different facets of the music business. But I have never heard anyone addressing this particular thing. Um, you should probably try to contact Keith Spira. Yeah, he's I'll the one it. that puts all that. He's the one that puts all that on. Boy, I'll tell you what. If you, uh, I, I mean, I would show up if you, um, you know, came and addressed, addressed, addressed the music industry people about all that. Um, it's like a symposium or something. Um, well, you know, I, I know actually, I actually did the the um, the workshops in at the IBC in Memphis, uh, where they would have people come around and they would talk to you, and you know, of course, Bruce Iglauer would be there, and and you know, all the PR people, you know, like Frank Rozak, and 
you know, all those guys, you know, they'd all have little stations there and everyone would put their wish card together and come over and talk to you about different things. So, yeah, I, I used to do yeah. that. You know, it's kind of like a speed date well, th- for the is, industry. This is, this is actually, yeah, yeah, this is a little bit different, though. It's it's kind of like they have speakers at certain times mm-hmm. um, addressing different issues and then... Um, you know, just anyone that wants to sign up in the music industry can register to go. I don't even think they charge anything. Uh, um, or at least they didn't the last time I went. And um, so you would have your t- time allotted where you speak. Oh, it's a panel. They have a, yeah, they have like six people on a panel for each each subject. Okay. So it would not only be you, it would not only be you, but it would be other people that can address you know of course it, this particular thing could be part of a bigger topic it could be um uh, the latest in um advanced ways to promote your music or something and then you, you could address these specific things and then they could have another guy on the panel that was doing something else and there's usually like six people on the panel on each panel and it lasts for two days Hmm. it's uh or no i think it's three days during jazz fest it's a whole weekend of jazz fest um but it's a cool deal Um, they call it sync up okay and key spira key spira is the one you would want to contact all right well I'll, i'll drop them a line well, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And, you know, it's always a lot of fun. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. This is a this is a oh, record you, you want to turn up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun tonight. <laughs> good, good. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you taking an interest in uh, in my music. No, you got it.
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. 
Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the indie revolution. Shout now, honey. Gonna make. 